0: Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.
1: I can hardly believe it, but this is the 50th episode of The Breakdown. And we toyed with having a special guest or changing up the format, maybe doing some live music. But the truth is, what I'm about to unpack and explain for you is really the most important thing going on in the world right now. But you wouldn't know that from the news. A revolution is fully underway in Sudan. And to squash it, the military and their contracted vigilantes are slaughtering nonviolent protesters by the hundreds, and they need our support. Today I'm going to explain the revolution, the politics, where it stands today, and I'm going to give us a few action steps. Because we're not just here to change the news. We're here to change the world. Let's dig in. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the Breakdown. The the Breakdown. The, 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 The Breakdown. I'm sorry to be obtuse today, but I have to zoom out a little bit or a lot to make my point. We, if you're listening to this, we are human beings. We live on a planet that we call Earth. And on this planet live a staggering 7.53 billion people. The world population has literally doubled since 1970. And while it may not always feel like it, what happens in one place in the world has a ripple effect all over the world. And Dr. King said it like this, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And it's true. We often think that something horrible happening to somebody else, somebody from another group, somebody from another culture, another religion, somebody from another nation, we often think that that has nothing at all to do with us. But I assure you, we are all deeply connected. And as a student of history and as someone who studies world trends, I need you to understand that what happens in one nation reverberates all over the world. We're not that isolated. And we see that happening right now with Donald Trump. He openly embraces dictators. He praises them. He welcomes them. He sends them gifts. He brags about them. Then they slaughter journalists and slaughter activists and marginalized people. And it has no impact on their relationship with him. And when the world sees that, they then understand that, oh, these behaviors are going to go unchecked. We see it right now with the global rise of white supremacy, of hate groups, and the global rise of hate crimes, which are now at an international high in the modern history of the world. We see a mass murder happen at a mosque in New Zealand. And soon we learned that the man who did it admired Donald Trump. When one nation slaughters and murders their protesters, guess what other nations do? Knowing that nobody is really going to call them out, they follow suit. And over the past year, we've seen snipers in Israel mow down hundreds of unarmed protesters. Just yesterday afternoon, a medic died after he was shot and killed by an Israeli sniper. And we've seen women and children killed by long range snipers. I've seen it with my own eyes. Hundreds of them, unarmed, nonviolent, peaceful protesters, journalists, medics. And when it happens and when it has happened in Israel and in Palestine, the most powerful nations in the world, they've seen it and they did nothing about it. In fact, Many of them only doubled down on their support of Israel. And guess what? When other nations see that, when they see Israel shoot and kill medics and children and women and nonviolent boys and men, when they see that, when other nations see it, it erodes the moral ground for any other nation to stand on and be able to say, Hey, hey, you can't shoot and kill unarmed, nonviolent protesters. You can't do that. And when nations all of a sudden don't call out their allies for doing it, they then have no ground to stand on to call out anyone else. And that's exactly what we've seen this past week in Sudan. Because the world was silent in one place, they now have hardly no ground to stand on when they see atrocities unfold Right before our eyes in Sudan. I need just a few minutes to break it down for
0: you. It's the breakdown,
1: the breakdown, the breakdown, the breakdown, the breakdown, breakdown, break it down now. Sudan is huge. Geographically, in terms of square miles, it's the third largest nation in all of Africa. It's about five times bigger geographically. It's about five times bigger than California. But it has just about the same number of people living there, around 40 million people. And it's old. Sudan has been continuously populated and has had government representation for at least 5,000 years. Just think about that for a moment. It's one of the oldest nations in the entire history of the world. And some of the history of Sudan is so beautiful and so rich and complicated. I'm talking about ancient Kush and Nubia and Kerma. And early, we learned that throughout Sudan, and I don't mean during colonialism, I'm talking about nearly 2,000 years ago, we see Coptic Christianity evolve out of Sudan. We eventually see Islam come through Sudan. And for the past 2,000 years... The history of Sudan was complex. We saw highs and lows. We saw major shifts and changes. But in the entire 5,000-plus-year history of the country, I think the single worst period in Sudanese history actually began in June of 1989. And that's when military colonel Omar al-Bashir took the government over in a military coup. He then appointed himself president, suspended all other political parties, banned all independent newspapers, and began executing every leader, every activist, any voice of opposition, he'd kill them. And it was downhill from there. That was in 1989. And for about 30 straight years, Omar al-Bashir ruled Sudan with an iron fist. But for most of us, and myself included, our introduction to modern Sudan really came in the early 2000s as we started learning about massive war crimes and human rights abuses that were taking place in the western region of the nation, which we know as Darfur. And that was because in February of 2003, led by the president, Omar al-Bashir, the government began one of the worst periods of ethnic cleansing in the modern history of the world. Armed forces there throughout Darfur murdered over 300,000 people, and they forced nearly 3 million Sudanese citizens into homelessness as refugees, 3 million people. And because of that, because of the atrocities, and the hundreds of thousands of people who were murdered. The International Criminal Court in The Hague, which is in Netherlands, indicted Omar al-Bashir for war crimes. They first indicted him and issued an arrest warrant for Omar al-Bashir all the way back on March the 4th of 2009. And then they issued another arrest warrant for Omar al-Bashir on July 12th of 2010. But the world at large basically ignored the indictments and an open war criminal continued to rule Sudan after slaughtering hundreds of thousands of people. And any time a revolution would creep up to even try to overthrow al-Bashir, he'd squash it and have the leaders either arrested or murdered. That was until this year. When young people, particularly young women, all over the country rose up first to just demand a fair economy, to demand fair housing and fair education. And eventually those demands grew to call for Omar al-Bashir to step down. The protests began in December of 2018, but this year in 2019, they grew and grew and grew until hundreds of thousands of people joined in, and it really brought the entire nation to its knees. Then, on April the 11th, this past April the 11th, the Sudanese military bowed to the will of the people and removed President Omar al-Bashir from office. And it was a powerful moment. But I've seen that moment happen all over the world, many times throughout history. I'm talking about when the people rise up and an organic, organized movement overthrows their corrupt government for every 100 times that that happens, what happens next goes wrong 99 of them. The people rise up, they overthrow the government, and they were right. Listen, don't get me wrong. They were right to do so. But 99 times out of 100, the military then takes over and refuses to allow free and fair elections. The military takes over and then refuses to allow democracy. They refuse to allow civilian rule. And when the people rise up again, the military, and I have seen this hundreds of times in modern history and throughout the history of the world, the people overthrow the government, the military takes control, and when the people try to rise up again the military then begins doing to the people the same thing that the previous dictator did to the people. And that's exactly what's happening right now in Sudan. And tens of thousands of businesses shut down over the past 10 days in protest. Listen, I I can't say to you with words how powerful of a moment, how beautiful of a moment it was for tens of thousands of businesses all over the country to just say, as long as the military is running this place, we're not going to operate our business. And it was a beautiful thing. And hundreds of thousands of people stood with them. Banks shut down, restaurants and businesses shut down. And it was one of the most beautiful acts of civil disobedience that I've seen in years. It was masterful. And it brought the entire nation to a standstill. And the military responded. And We have to understand that when the military responds to civil disobedience, we have to respond that these military leaders were the very military leaders who did the bidding of Omar al-Bashir when he was indicted for war crimes himself. Many of these military leaders They are war criminals. So on this past June the 3rd, as businesses were shut down all over the country, in the city of Khartoum, a massacre took place against the protesters. And at least 118 peaceful protesters were murdered, shot, and bludgeoned to death. And at least 100 different women were sexually assaulted. Businesses were burned down and ransacked. In the military proved that they were no different than the leader that they claimed to be replacing. And I want to play for you a recent news clip from CNN International on what happened so that you can kind of get some sound and color to what took place. It's actually a good report, and they're hard to come by. Let me play that clip for you now.
0: Shops shuttered, normally busy streets, deserted, Pro-democracy protesters have launched a nationwide campaign of civil disobedience. After the paramilitary rapid support forces led an attack on a long-running sit-in outside defense headquarters. In the chaos that followed, they killed more than 100 people, according to the Central Committee of Sudan Doctors, in the bloodiest day yet since the Sudanese uprising began in December of last year. The rapid support forces, were previously known as the Janjaweed, irregulars used by the Sudanese regime to crush a rebellion in the western province of Darfur. The International Criminal Court and the U.S. government hold the Janjaweed responsible for committing genocide in Darfur. The opposition, led by the Sudanese Professionals Association, is demanding the military hand power to civilians immediately and is calling for an independent investigation into last week's killings. Men in uniform, however, are shrugging off the demands. Addressing his troops last week, Rapid Support Force Commander Mohammed Hamdan Daglo known simply as Hamedti, sent a stern warning to protesters. We will not permit chaos, he said. Code words in the Arab world for no power to the people. Uh, Sarah Abdel Jalil, based uh, in the UK, is a member of the Sudanese Professionals Association. She stresses the uprising has repercussions well beyond Sudan's the, the Sudan borders. The success of this um, revolution is a threat to a lot of regimes in the region. It is about justice, it's not just about the people of Sudan. And in a region where autocrats hold sway, this revolution matters we' been CNN, London.
1: We are told that yesterday, the protesters, for the first time, called off their strikes so that they could continue to negotiate with the military. and the protesters are calling for at least three things. They're calling first for an immediate democratic government led by civilians and not the military. They want a democratic, civilian-led government from top to bottom, and I agree with that. The second thing that they're calling for, and it's necessary, they're calling for an open international investigation into the new war crimes committed against protesters this year. And lastly, they're calling for something very essential. They're calling for an immediate return of all Internet and cell phone service because the government repeatedly cuts both of them out in an attempt to end the ability of protesters to communicate with one another So they're calling for those three things and many more, but those three things in particular. And I support all three of them. And today I want to end our 50th episode with some action steps showing our solidarity with the Sudanese people. Let's take some action.
0: Action. Action.
1: Action. Steps. Take action. 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 Steps. Today I actually have several action steps for you. Some of them are homework. Because I really want you to stay informed, but we also need to begin showing the world how much we care about the freedom and safety and human rights and dignity and civil rights of Sudanese people. Now, the first action step is simple. I need you, and and listen, I don't want you to overlook this. I need you to make an emotional and intellectual commitment to care about this issue. That's where it all begins. I'm asking you to make a decision in your mind, and in your heart that you will track with this, you will care for it, you will check on it. And listen, I understand that we all have a limited reservoir for how much we can follow and how many issues we can deeply care about, but I'm asking this to be put on your list and in your heart, all right? Now, the second thing that I want you to do is to begin seeking out for yourself good information. We'll share some of them on uh, the breakdown social media account. But I want you to Google search the latest news stories. We'll tweet many of them. If you follow The Breakdown, at The Breakdown on Twitter, we're also going to share some list of who you should follow on Twitter and who you can trust. So please go to Twitter and follow at The Breakdown, and we'll share them from The Breakdown's account. I'll also share them on my social media accounts, but I tweet a lot, and things could get lost there. So I really want you to go follow at The Breakdown on Twitter, And we'll share many of the leaders, authors, writers, journalists, and stories that we want you to read so you can deepen your understanding and knowledge of this and then follow it for yourself, okay? I love to be able to inform you, but I also want you to take this on and stay informed in your own right. And lastly, our final action step, it sounds simple, but trust me, it matters. We want you to post on all of your social media channels whichever ones you're on, if it's Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or wherever it may be, we want you to post on social media about Sudan and the uprising. You can use the hashtag Sudan Uprising, and we want you to post about the human rights abuses, the war crimes. We want you to share your favorite articles. We want you to post this all over social media. If you find powerful images or graphics, we want you to share them because here's the thing. The world needs to understand that an essential fight for freedom is going on right now. And whenever you hear this podcast, if it's the day it comes out or if it's a week later, we want you to take this action step and post about the Sudan. And when you do, also use the breakdown, use the breakdowns hashtag if you can. Use the hashtag, the breakdown. That way we'll be able to see your post and share your post and amplify them. The world needs to know that we are watching. Of course, we'd love it if you shared links to this podcast, inform people of how it helped you understand the issue better, because right now, awareness means everything. War criminals and war crimes thrive in darkness. They thrive in anonymity. They thrive in silence, and we need to shed a light and support the people on the ground and shine a light on what's going on. Break it down. Thank you all for making it all the way through this episode of The Breakdown. I love our listeners and thank you so much for always taking these action steps with us. If you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, we're gonna be right back here every single weekday breaking down important news stories and issues. And we'd love for you to subscribe on your favorite podcast apps like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please, pretty please share this podcast with all your friends, your family, your colleagues, your coworkers, your Facebook friends. Share this podcast with everybody you know, because our next big goal is to get to 100,000 subscribers. And we're not going to get there without you. Of course, thank you to the nearly 30,000 founding members of the North Star whose generosity even makes this possible. We love and appreciate each of you so very much. And if you love this podcast and you want to support our work or you want to see the show notes and transcripts for each episode, we'd love it if you consider becoming a founding member and you can do that right now at the northstar.com. There we don't have our podcast with hundreds and hundreds of original articles and stories and commentaries from some of the leading scholars and thinkers and journalists in the world. Lastly, a shout-out to our associate producer, Lysandra, one of our editors, Richard, and our podcasting director and senior producer, Willis, for their hard work on this and every episode. Take care, everybody.